Crime Sound listeners, we're your hosts, Ashley and Ricky, and we're here today with a story that happened in May of last year in a town outside of Dublin, Ireland. This week, we will cover the murder of Anna Kriegel. If this is your first time listening to this true crime podcast, welcome. And for those of you who have been listening to us, thanks for being a part of the Crime Salad Squad. We have really been enjoying your support and engagement on social media with recent cases. You can be a helpful part of our podcast by sharing Crime Salad with a friend and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. This really helps us grow and spread the word about our show. Our story today takes us to Lexlip, Ireland, a small town outside of Dublin with a population of around 15,000 people, a pretty quiet town not known for much, other than a few pro football players and a well-known pop star, Lily Allen. Lexlip was given horrible news when a young girl at the age of 14 was found murdered. Her lifeless body was found naked in an abandoned farmhouse covered in bruises and lacerations. This innocent girl had her whole life in front of her, and sadly, it was cut short. To start off this story, we would like to tell you a little bit about Anna. Anna was born in February of 2004 in Russia and Western Siberia. She was adopted by Geraldine and Patrick Kriegel and started a new life in their Ireland home in 2006. She was their only child, and her parents decided to keep her original name Anastasia in order to keep some of her Russian culture. However, she usually goes by Anna. She seemed to embrace this unique part of herself. That's what made her unique from all the other kids. She expressed her culture even online, making her profile picture a Siberian wolf. Anna struggled as a growing teenager, which I feel like most girls do at the age of 14. It's a hard time where your body is changing, you're starting to have interest in boys, and you're just learning how to do your makeup, maybe just started to shave your legs. Well, that's how it was for me anyways, so I feel the struggle Anna went through, and I'm sure those of you who are listening do too. But on top of that, Anna felt she was a bit different from her classmates, and the constant bullying of her height wasn't helping. She was very tall for her age, standing five foot eight inches, Kids often made fun of her for being adopted too, saying that her parents were not real parents, which is absolutely ridiculous. She also suffered from a handful of health issues. When Anna was young, doctors found a tumor in her right ear and required a pretty serious surgery to remove it. After the surgery, Anna would have a very hard time hearing out of that ear, which caused issues when it came to school socially and academically. And she also developed a painful condition, brought on from when your bones grow faster than your muscles. From a very early age, it seemed that luck was never on Anna's side. In school, she began to develop small emotional problems and told a teacher she was feeling suicidal. This worried her parents and they began to worry about potential bullies that she was facing at school. 
That summer, she started to be bullied online by some classmates, sending her sexually suggestive messages. Her parents were made aware of the bullying and took screenshots and pictures of the harassment and brought it to the attention of the school, thinking this would put an end to the bullying, but the bullying sadly continued. Anna would often spend time with herself, taking long walks alone and listening to music. She was known to be kind-hearted, but craved friendship. She loved spending time at home with her family, but really wanted a friend her age. Over time, the bullying was really getting to Anna, and she started to act out a bit in school. She began getting in trouble at school, and she was involved in a couple of fights, resulting in a school suspension. In one event, Anna painted her eye black before arriving to school. Her mother said she was attention-seeking, and to her, it was an expression of pain she suffered on the inside. And after this, she continued to do things to seek attention. And once she set up her own fake social media accounts in order to send herself hateful comments and threats, her mother then started demanding Anna to hand over her phone at night for her to check it. Shortly before Anna's death, her mother found a picture on her phone that would send chills down your spine. In the picture, Anna was blindfolded and tied to a chair with her mouth taped shut, which I'm sure her mom had a thousand questions about what this was about. Anna told her mom that her and her friends were just messing around and were playing a prank on a boy, trying to see if he would come rescue her. The photo was pretty alarming for her mom to find, but I think the majority of this can all be chalked up as typical teenage behavior. But to Anna's mother, this was a big red flag, and she began to look for a counselor for her daughter. On Sunday, May 13th, Anna's mother was planning to help her study for an upcoming exam. However, they were expecting family to come over, so they both decided to put studying off for the night and relax before everyone arrived. When they got there, her parents spent time with the adults, and Anna ran upstairs in her room with her young cousin to make a YouTube video. As a hobby, Anna loved to make videos about clothing, dancing, and makeup. We tried to look her YouTube channel up, but it seems all her videos have been removed and the page still has about 200 subscribers. Her mother said she'd get some really nice comments, but she had a few really aggressive ones from people. One even told her to go die, and another said that she should be executed. I'm not sure if these were strangers or, you know, people who knew her personally, but we all know YouTube comments are known for sometimes being incredibly toxic. When everyone left, Anna went to bed around 10.30. The next morning, Monday, May 14th, after she came home from school, she ate a few snacks before going to her room. She then called her mother at work. Her mother was in a meeting, so she wasn't able to answer the phone, but she texted her back letting her know and told her she'd call her later. Around 4.55, her father was also home for the evening and was relaxing in the backyard. Unexpectedly, the doorbell rang and her father went to open the door. When he opened it, he saw a young boy. We'll refer to him as Boy B. And he was seeing if Anna was home. Anna's father called for Anna, and when she came down, she looked confused. She knew who the boy was, but they definitely weren't friends, and she felt it was kind of weird that he wanted to see her. Her father left them alone at the front door, and they began to talk. Her father could hear them whispering about something, but he didn't think too much about it. 
It just seemed like normal teenager stuff. She then ran back upstairs to get a hoodie and told her father that she'd be back later. Before she left, her father reminded her that she needs to study for her exams, but she said she would later and that she wasn't going to be that long. The two began walking towards St. Catherine's Park. Boy B appeared to be walking ahead of Anna, and the two didn't appear to be talking. As a young teenage girl, we can assume that Anna felt like this was both exciting, but confusing at the same time. Anna didn't normally hang out with anyone, especially boys for that matter. But her father said she seemed happy when she left, so he wasn't overly concerned. Around 5.10, Anna's mother was on her way home and called Anna back as she promised, but the call went straight to voicemail. She didn't think too much about it, though, because she knew that she'd be home in a few minutes and she just talked to her in person. When she got home, Anna's dad told her that Anna left with a boy from school to go to the park. Anna's mother became immediately concerned because she knew that he had nothing to do with her and no one ever wants to hang out with Anna, which is quite sad, but you have to think, Anna was being extremely bullied in school, so to Anna's mom, she was getting very worried. At this point, she knew Anna was only gone for about half an hour, but she was already extremely paranoid. So she walked to the park, and she noticed other kids playing, but there was no sign of her daughter at all. She then returned home, ate some dinner, and was hoping Anna would return. But still, there was no sign of Anna. It was getting dark now, and her and her husband drove around the neighborhood trying to find her, but still, they had no luck. When they returned, they started searching around on Facebook, looking up Boy B. She kind of had an idea of who he was, but she didn't know where he lived or who his parents were. They were unable to find anything when they were searching. At this point, Anna had been gone for four hours. The two decide it's now time to involve the Garda. For American listeners, the Garda is the state police force of the Irish Republic. Once Anna was reported missing, the police decided to go to Boy B's house to ask him a few questions. Boy B tells the police that he did walk Anna to the park, but he left her around 4.40 and went home. How odd is it that Boy B walks Anna to the park, leaves her there, and where? What would you think if you heard this? You know, you're worried about your daughter, and the night just kept getting darker. Sadly, Anna never came home that night, and then it was morning. The police were now taking the missing persons case to the next level and began the investigation. Police then returned to Boy B's house for more questioning. There just has to be more to this story. Like, why did you go to the park? What were you doing there? Who were you meeting? Did she get in a car with anyone? How would he just leave her there? Boy B adds a little bit more to the story. He tells the police that the reason he walked Anna to the park was so she could meet his friend, who is referred to as Boy A. He explained that Anna had a crush on Boy A, but Boy A didn't like her. So Boy B walked her to the park and then left Anna with Boy A before returning home to finish some homework. Now, if you think back to when he first came to the house, I wonder what he told Anna, because she was excited to leave with this kid, and we obviously can assume that he didn't tell her what's going to really happen at the park. Okay, so police asked Boy B to lead them to where he entered the park, specifically where they met Boy A and where he left the two together. 
The police mapped all of these locations before returning Boy B back to his house. So, who are Boy A and Boy B, and why don't we use their names? We do know that these two are minors, both at the age of 13 years old, and according to the protection laws of a minor in Ireland, their names legally cannot be disclosed, even though they are suspects in Anna's murder. On May 15th, the public was made aware of Anna's disappearance, and they shared photos of Anna wearing a black and white hoodie. Police released a description of what Anna looks like, and that she was last seen at her home. Once this information was released, police began to receive a bunch of leads. Some even claimed to see Anna nearby, but after looking into them, none of them really seemed to hold any weight. Then they received one lead, which came from a father and a son. They heard about Anna going missing and suggested they check the back of a local sewage treatment plant because teenagers like to hang out around there. They didn't know at the time, but they later found out by pulling records of who they spoke with. They spoke with Boy A, who supposedly met with Anna that night, and his father. Shortly after this, police decided that they need to speak with both boys. They could have more information to what actually happened to Anna. We're going to take a quick break here to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online service that I personally use for my mental health. They provide a number of professional licensed counselors who specialize in all situations that may be interfering with your happiness. It's seriously my personal outlet to get my mind right. It's affordable. It's so convenient. I decided to give BetterHelp a shot when I was going through a very anxious part of my life. So I just signed up and I was matched with an amazing counselor who was so willing to talk with me right away. We actually set up a video chat later in the week to catch up. We are all so busy. Give yourself the care that you need today. Start living a happier life. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash crime salad. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime salad. They brought boy A and boy B to the park to have them go over the details of the events from that day Anna went missing. Although anyone could be a suspect in a missing persons case, it's important to know here that both boys were treated really just as witnesses at this point. However, I'm sure police had some suspicion. They were the last ones to see Anna. They either saw something or maybe they're hiding something. The boys then led police on the path Boy B and Anna took at the park. But this path was completely different than the original path Boy B showed them. And this is where the story changes just a bit. During this walk, the two boys seemed to make strange glances at each other before they would talk. Maybe this was a hint telling Boy B that he's talking too much. It was starting to get very strange with the way they were handling the story. Police decided to take separate statements from the boys because it was obvious they were not being completely honest. Police took the boys to the police station and asked them to explain exactly what happened the day Anna went missing. Boy B sticks to the same story that he told police and says he has no clue what happened to her after he left her with Boy A. However, Boy A told police a detailed story saying that when he met Anna, she asked him if he would go out with her, but he told her that he's sorry, he just wasn't interested in her. 
It was at this time that Anna turned and walked away from him. He said that she didn't say anything. She just looked sad and annoyed with him and just kept walking. At this time, he started walking home alone. But this is where the story takes a strange turn. And I think it's one of those reasons police became very suspicious of boy A. While he was walking home, he claims that he was attacked by two boys. The first boy grabbed him by the shoulder and pulled him down. Both the boys started kicking him repeatedly. But somehow, boy A was able to jump up and heroically kick one of the boys in the head. It was a great story, but the police thought it was just that. A teenage fantasy story. They took boy A to the Garda headquarters to piece together the description of the attackers. There was one big problem with this story. The entire park is covered with surveillance cameras, and after reviewing the footage, police were not able to find anyone matching the descriptions that were given. The only thing they did find that was recorded on surveillance footage was Anna and boy B walking into the park, but they never saw Anna walking out of the park. It was now May 16th. Police were now worried that Anna was either in serious danger or dead. At this point, the search was in full swing. They began to assemble special search teams and a civil defense provided a 60-member team to assist in the search. The Garda Crime and Security Branch was also brought in to try and track Anna's movements by analyzing her mobile phone usage with cell phone towers in the area. On the morning of Thursday, May 17th, a specifically trained four-person search team was searching an area of St. Catharines Park. In this area, there was an old abandoned farmhouse, referred to as the Glenwood House. This was a huge house that was once protected for its agricultural significance, but in its current state, it was really in bad shape. A company had been trying to get permission to convert the old house into a 62-bedroom nursing home, a plan that was welcomed by the community since the building was such an eyesore. The police were pretty familiar with the building because it was a popular hangout for teenagers. In the house, there was often drinking-involved hookups, and inside the house was littered with soda bottles, beer cans, and condom wrappers. A few of the members of the search team began to search the outside, while the others went inside. As they stepped into the house, it was very dark. As they walked into one of the giant rooms, they instantly smelled the scent of dried blood. As they made their way further into the room, they could see something on the floor. The police officers first thought it was either a mannequin or just something really, really bad. He called into the darkness, but no one replied. He called the rest of the team up into the room, and they continued in. There laying on the floor was the battered, naked body of Anna Kriegel, their hair completely covering her face. Scattered around her were pieces of her broken iPhone, clothes, and broken-off acrylic nails. Blood stained the walls and the carpet of the room, and police immediately could tell that there was an intense fight in this room. After taking a better look at Anna, police noticed her body was covered in wounds, and she had insulation tape wrapped around her neck. She still had three fingers inside the tape, as if she was struggling to get it off. Her body showed evidence of about 50 injuries. 
She suffered extensive bruising, lacerations, and hemorrhages to the skull, scalp, face, and neck. It was concluded that her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head with the effect of compression to the neck. Police quickly established the house as a crime scene and confirmed the death before letting Anna's parents know that they found her body. Later that night, the parents were asked to come down to the morgue to make a final identification of Anna. It was at this point that the missing person case was turned into a homicide investigation, and their main suspects were both boy A and boy B. After investigating the crime scene, police found semen on the clothes torn from Anna's body. Anna's blood was also found on boy A's shoes and on the items that the police referred to as the murder kit. Inside the kit, they found knee pads, gloves, shin pads, a scarf, and a homemade horror mask found in the backpack at Boy A's house. Once the semen was tested, it was quickly confirmed to match Boy A. When Boy A was confronted with this concrete evidence, he simply told police no comment. In fact, this was Boy A's answer for almost all of the questioning. He either said no comment or he didn't know. However, Boy B was the complete opposite. All he did was talk. He even gave around five different stories over his many interviews with police. And the most telling thing that he told them was that when he entered the abandoned house, Anna had gone into a room with Boy A. Boy A then told Boy B to leave the house and he continued in. Boy B then decided to walk around the rest of the house instead of leaving. But then the sound of shuffling caused him to run back up into the room that they were in. And by this time, he saw Boy A kind of flip Anna. He described the whole thing as like a judo-type move to the detectives. He said she was shouting, no, no, don't do this. Anna then made eye contact with Boy B, and he ran away in fear. The police didn't think he was being entirely truthful, but they thought it may have been pretty close to what actually happened. They then began to question Boy B intensely, asking him why he didn't try to help her, and telling him that he could have saved her life, but he didn't. Boy B just kept saying over and over that he didn't know he'd kill her, and that it all just felt like a dream, and none of this was like Boy A. Going into the trial, both boys pleaded not guilty. However, the prosecution had alleged that both Boy A and Boy B were involved in the murder. Boy B was much more immature than Boy A, and his attorney brought in a psychologist to analyze his mental state. They tried to make a case for him that he was experiencing PTSD from all of the awful events he witnessed, and tried to accredit this to his stories and his inconsistencies. But this information was thrown out and never made it into the court. Boy B also made another correction to his story, and he told the psychologist that he saw Boy A with his pants down strangling Anna until she stopped fighting and her whole body went limp. And again, this never made it to the trial. This was a reoccurring theme in the trial, and overall, there was a lot of evidence that was thrown out and unable to be used in court, such as the mental health evaluation of Boy B the browser history on Boy A's phone relating to torture, abuse, and over 12,000 files of very violent pornographic content, and even Boy A's bloody boots that he was wearing the night that Anna was murdered, because they were taken by police in reference to the attack on Boy A, and not in reference to Anna's disappearance. 
which I think is just crazy. I mean, they were able to confirm that it was her blood on his boots, but they're not able to use them in court against him. One thing that I believe really stuck out to the jury was the fact that Boy A asked Boy B if he wanted to kill someone in the weeks prior. It's reported that Boy B said no, but asked who he had in mind. It's at that time that Boy A revealed his plan to kill Anna. Boy B told investigators that he honestly didn't know that he would kill Anna, and he just thought he was joking around. But this makes Boy B's excuse that he really didn't know Boy A would kill Anna hard to believe. So knowing this information, the jury had to decide if he really didn't know Boy A's plan, or if he was just naive and thought he was joking, or if he really held a role in the killing by bringing Anna to Boy A. The evidence against Boy A was much more clear-cut with the DNA evidence against him. However, even though there was no DNA evidence against Boy B, it's a little more difficult because being at a crime scene isn't a crime. But if he did help bring Anna to the house, knowing she'd be killed, that is a crime. In the end, the jury ruled both boys guilty of murder. Boy A was guilty of the murder and aggravated sexual assault against Anna. Boy B was also guilty of murder, and this was confirmed by unanimous verdicts. During the funeral, a Russian flag and a nesting doll were placed on Anna's coffin. Her parents had announced their adoption of Anna in 2006 by handing their friends similar dolls containing her picture. She had a miniature Eiffel Tower on her coffin to symbolize her love for French holidays. The whole service was really beautiful. After the six-week trial... Anna's parents spoke to reporters saying, Anna was a dream come true for us, and she always will be. She will stay in our hearts forever loved and forever cherished. We love you, Anna. The two 13-year-old boys have become the youngest in Irish history to be convicted of murder. And although this concludes the story of Anna Kriegel's murder, she will never be forgotten. And I feel like this is a good place to mention that bullying is not okay. If you ever feel like you're a victim of bullying, it's your right to stand up for yourself and get help. And don't be a bully. We really want to hear what your thoughts are about this case. Was all this planned out by both boys or just led by boy A? I feel that being that there is no DNA evidence of boy B at all, he's telling the truth about not being physically involved. But definitely knew what was going on. And even though both boys are minors, what happened to Anna is absolutely tragic. I feel like I'm not the only one who hopes that they will both be in prison for life. But we all know, unfortunately, that may not be the case. Although we're still in our beginning stages of our podcast and we're learning more after every episode, we really want to thank those who support us. It really keeps us going. You can support Crime Salad directly by signing up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash crimesaladpodcast or leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. This really helps other people find Crime Salad. And remember to follow us on Instagram at Crime Salad Podcast and be sure to tell a friend about Crime Salad. Thank you all so much for listening. And here's a quick message from our friends. 
What's going on, true crime fans? I'm your host, Heath. And I'm your other host, Daphne. And we're from Going West. A true crime podcast where we discuss various murders, disappearances, and unsolved crimes. We release new episodes every Monday, and each week we have a different case to dive into. You can find us over on Instagram at Going West Podcast. And on Twitter at Going West Pod. Listen to some of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash goingwestpodcast, where you can get exclusive bonus ad-free episodes every month. If you're looking for a new true crime binge, check out Going West. For everybody out there in the world, keep it real and stay weird. Cheerio. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain.